right. Exodus 29 is where we are tonight as we move verse by verse through the book of Exodus. Tonight we are going to look at consecrated to God. What does it mean to be consecrated to God? If you were with us uh, last week, we went through the actual vestments or garments of the high priest, and we looked at his garb in detail. And uh, one thing that I didn't share with you last week is that all of the the vestments that you can kind of see in this image behind you, uh, some of the highlights for me from last week are that on the ephod, on the shoulders, remember he carried six tribes on one shoulder, six tribes on the other, and it reminds us that our great high priest, Jesus Christ, carries our burdens, carried our sins and our weights, and calls upon us to cast all our cares to him because he cares for us. We saw the, uh, the breast piece of the high priest, and remember, each of the jewels on the breast piece was a, one of the tribes of the nation of Israel, and that shows us that the high priest was carrying the people close to his heart and carrying them to God as he made sacrifice. And so that's a, another beautiful image. And on his head, you'll notice that there's a turban on the head of the high priest. And that turban um, actually had kind of a headpiece on it. And it was a gold-plated headpiece. And it said, some of you will remember this, holy to the Lord. And that's kind of where we're going tonight. Holy to the Lord is the idea of consecration, set apart unto God. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your living word. Thank you that we can learn from it, we can glean from it, we can know who we are, uh, who we belong to, and where we're headed, and what we're to be living for right now. We have been saved by grace, but we are also people who have been called to serve. Teach us how to be servants like you, Lord. Teach us to lay down our lives, be consecrated unto our God, that we can serve one another as you have served us so faithfully. So we pray that you would bless this time and consecrate us more into your image and more in your service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One thing I didn't mention last time is that there is no mention of anything for the feet of the priest. And most scholars have concluded that the priest uh, ministered to the Lord barefoot and you, you might remember a couple of scenes in the Bible where you have Moses at the burning bush, which we learned about all the way in Exodus chapter 3, which seems a couple of lifetimes ago, <laughs> for those of you who have gone through Exodus with us. And Moses was told to take off the sandals because he was standing on holy ground. And then in Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua sees the uh, captain of the Lord, Lord's army, which we believe is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, uh, Joshua is also told to take the shoes off of his feet. And so that may well be precedent to confirm the idea that the high priest had this uh, beautiful garment on, the beautiful array uh, of garments, yet he had nothing on his feet because he was ministering on holy ground. Now, all of us know that these uh, vestments and these pictures are spiritual pictures. We're, we're to take them not necessarily literally, but spiritually. We don't have to walk into a church with a turban on. We don't have to worship the Lord with no shoes on our feet. In fact, we would argue that even Jesus doing the foot washing for the disciples is a picture of something different. 
Uh, foot washing was for that culture. It may not necessarily be for our culture, but it's a, a picture of his humility, a picture of him serving his people and dying for their sins. And so that's what we have to think about when we, when we study these Old Testament vestments is spiritual realities. I mention that because that's going to be very important for tonight as we look at the garments of the priests and the specifically here now, the consecration of priests. This would be like their ordination. How many of you have seen an ordination service for a pastor in your lifetime? It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see because it's often a, there's been a long buildup. Uh, a man has felt a calling from God. And then there's an ordination service. And I can remember back in the 90s when I was ordained into the, into the ministry and the people who spoke at that service, I will never forget uh, that incredible service. Uh, people who were uh, kind of, you know, speaking into my life about my responsibility as a pastor and praying over me, etc. And here's pretty much what's happening with these priests. They are being consecrated or ordained to the priesthood. And we left off last time in Exodus 28. We're just going to go back for a few moments to verse 40. And we, this is where we ended last time. He says, and for Aaron's sons, that would be the priestly line moving down from Aaron to his sons, you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother. So Moses is being instructed to do this as kind of a priest to Aaron, and then the priestly line will go from there, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, mark these words if you're taking notes, the word anoint is mashach, it's where we get the idea of the Mashiach or the Messiah. The Messiah is literally the word, the idea of the anointed one. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrews Messiah. The Greek is Christos. But literally the definition in both cases of Messiah or Christ is the anointed one. So that's the word here for uh, anoint them and ordain them. That's the Hebrew word yadam. And then consecrate them is kadash, which means set them apart as holy, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. These are the undergarments. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or the tabernacle or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and to his descendants after him. Now, the Hebrew word for the priest is kohen. If you're taking notes, it's C-O-H-E-N. And there are people who are Hebrews or Israelites today who have a form of that last name, kohen or something like that, and can actually trace their ancestry to the priestly line, which is kind of interesting but this priestly line was only for this specific tribe within Israel. They were the priests to the rest of the tribes or to the people. Now we transition to their ordination or their consecration. Now this is what you shall do to them. To consecrate them to minister as priests to me. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. Now in our study tonight, we're going to see pictures of Christ and pictures of believers consecrated to Christ. These are spiritual pictures. So the first thing I want you to notice is that as the ordination week begins, this is a seven-day 
formal ordination ceremony. Seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. So the ordination service was not 70 minutes. It took place over seven days. And that would render them complete or ready for service to God. As we are set apart for God, we know that maturation and, uh, you know, getting specifics about our calling and what God has for us can take some time. I remember when I first became a believer, I was chomping at the bit to be used in ministry and I wanted to preach. I felt a very strong calling from almost the time that I became a Christian, but I had a lot of learning to do, a lot of theology that I had to wrestle with, a lot of things. I had a lot of zeal, but very little knowledge. And so we learn over time, and God sets us more and more apart unto his service. I want you to notice that the first thing that the priests need to be consecrated to serve God in this holy place is a sacrifice. And here's the spiritual uh, counterpart for us. Without the shedding of blood, this is what the Bible teaches, Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness of sin. When we're studying the tabernacle, once you enter in through the doorway into the court, the first thing that you run into is the altar of burnt offering. You can't move any farther without a sacrifice. Why? Because our sin has separated us from God. And this is true for the priest as well as it is for the people because the priests were just everyday people as well. Aaron was Moses' brother, his sons, to our knowledge, were nothing special. They were normal men, just like we are normal men and women here. And so they needed to be set apart unto God, but they had their own sin that they had to deal with. We do need to remember that people who are in ministry don't walk on water. They are men and women, you know, whatever you do, you teach a Sunday school class, if you, you know, are looking at a pastor, please be careful not to think that pastors are walking on water or never make mistakes or never struggle with temptation. That's just not the case. But they are set apart. And this is for all of us to understand that there is a priesthood of all believers in the New Testament. All of us are consecrated unto God. We are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9 says. We're all set apart unto God. So this is not just some special class of believers. We're all priests in the new covenant, and therefore we're set apart. And the first thing that we see is a sin offering. This had to be a, notice it's a young bull and two rams, end of verse 1. And they, the young bull, obviously, in the prime of life. And then the two rams had to be spotless without blemish. And they are uh, to be sacrificed for the priest's sin. In addition to that, look at verse 2. Take unleavened bread. We all know that unleavened speaks of sinlessness. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible and hypocrisy. So they are to take unleavened bread, what we know as matzah, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers. Notice unleavened is three times in verse 2. Spread with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. Now the New Testament teaches us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And perhaps the way that we should see this is that there's a sin offering of the bull and the two rams, but there's also this idea of a offering that is now uh, an unleavened bread, and it could speak of the fact that we are unleavened once that's, that offering is given for our sin. 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul uses this image, he says we are unleavened in Christ. Why is that? Because we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. And when a little leaven leavens the whole lump, the idea is we don't want to let sin, even a little bit, creep into our lives because it can spread so quickly into areas uh, that are important to us. So a little, little leaven leavens the whole lump. Here they have all these unleavened offerings. And you shall put them in one basket and present them in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. We, the church, are consecrated to God as a kingdom of priests. We are set apart as living sacrifices. And what we offer to the Lord is not unleavened cakes or bread. It's not a bull or a ram or a lamb. What do we offer to God now in the new covenant? We come to the altar and we offer what? Ourselves. As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our reasonable service in view of his great mercy. Here's a way to think about it. In view of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, sacrifice for our sins once and for all. In view of that sacrifice, now you and I are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And this is New Testament. Holy and pleasing to him. That's your responsibility and mine in the new covenant. Now, it's in response to Christ's great sacrifice. It's not to earn my salvation. It's in light of what he has done for me that I want to live a holy and sanctified life. I want to please him in all respects. And so this is part of our consecration. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Think of the outer doorway now when you first enter into the actual court and wash them with water. No doubt we are moving, and I think a lot of you can remember, when you come into the main doorway from the, uh, just basically the general area outside the tabernacle proper, you come through the first, the, the only doorway, and you run into the altar of burnt offering where sacrifices happen, and the next thing is what? It's the bronze laver. It's the place for washing. And so the priests are literally moving the same way that we would imagine uh, we have laid out in terms of moving into the holy place and the holy of holies. Remember, the priests were the only ones that could go into the holy place. So we're moving from the outer door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There we have the place of sacrifice where all this blood and stuff happened. And then the next thing is the place of washing. No doubt that the priests are taking that exact route. And once we have come to Christ and received the sacrifice of Christ for our lives, what happens? We are now washed of our sin. Jesus said, uh, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, John 13, 10. In John 15, 3, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Titus 3.5 puts it this way. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration, Titus 3.5, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now I told you that the movement of the priests in consecration and ordination is a mirror, if you will, to us as believers. By the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed from our sin. 
washed from a guilty conscience, we are clean now before our Lord because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? It, it feels good to be clean. It feels good not to have a dirty, guilty conscience. I, I can remember days when my conscience wasn't clean. And when I didn't have a clean conscience, it affected so many areas of my life. And that, I will tell you, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists say that a lot of people are mentally ill because they have a defiled or dirty conscience. They're troubled by their conscience. And that's because God has built something into you and me that when we sin against the Lord, we violate our conscience. Now, we know that we can sear our conscience, and at some point, you know, almost it becomes a bad barometer. But generally speaking, our conscience is a good barometer. Conscience is two Latin words, conscience, which means with knowledge. And every time we sin, we break the Ten Commandments written on our hearts. Our conscience bears witness to that. And our conscience either excuses us when we do the right thing or accuses us when we do the wrong thing. Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience. Not only are we cleansed in terms of our sin before our God, but he cleanses our conscience so that it's no longer defiled and muddied by sin. And that is a beautiful, freeing thing. Amen? You don't have to be troubled by your conscience anymore because your sin was paid for at the cross by Jesus. You should take the garments and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe, verse 5, of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece. We talked about that at the beginning. And gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. Now, the high priest comes into view, and basically Moses is being told by God, now, you put the garments on him, on Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. Put the tunic on him. Put the robe on him. Put the ephod on him. Put that breastpiece on him. And he's going to now move into this holy place, and he's going to serve the Lord. Now, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. His sons followed. But Aaron was a man, and Aaron did fail. In fact, um, we've all heard that Moses didn't go into the promised land because he misrepresented God and beat the, the rock when he was told to speak to it. Do you know that Aaron is told in Numbers chapter 20 that he can't go into the promised land because he helped in the building of the golden calf? You remember that incident? And uh, basically the people force him. We'll, we'll learn about this a little later in Exodus. They, they, you know, they want the golden calf built, and he, he, he buys into it. He does it, and then when Moses comes back, he says, what have you done? And Aaron's excuse was, well, we just threw the gold into the fire and poof, out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. That's the first high priest of Israel. Backed into a corner and comes up with the lamest lie in the book. And he was probably wearing his nice checkered garments at the time. What does that show you? It shows you this. The area where we need cleansing and regeneration and sanctification is not in our dress, not in the turban, not in the checkered work, not even in the breast piece that he wears, but where? It's in the heart. And that's the issue that is going on with mankind. And that's why Aaron didn't go into the promised land. We're told in Numbers 20, when Aaron is getting ready to die, God does announce it, and Eleazar, Aaron's uh, son, takes his vestments. He takes the garments of the high priest, 
And they're t- it, literally, this is how the Bible reads. They're stripped off of Aaron before he dies and given to his son. And when we read the book of Hebrews, we see the writer of Hebrews say that high priest lived and died. Another one came and he lived and died. Another one came and he lived and died. Another one came and he lived and died. Sacrifice after sacrifice. Repeat, repeat. Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. Until Jesus, our great high priest, came. And then he offered one sacrifice for all time, forever perfecting those who are found in him. Amen? Now we don't have to do that anymore. It's done. Paid in full. And that is the great fulfillment of this picture. You shall set the turban on his head, six. Put the holy crown on the turban. We all recall that it said, holy to the Lord. And you can see in the, the robing of the high priest and the priest, another spiritual reality. We have the great sacrifice of Christ. We are cleansed by the work of the cross and the resurrection. And now we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? And now the Lord sees us through the finished work of his Son. And we have the righteousness of Christ. We're robed in the priestly garments, if you will, of his righteousness. This is the beautiful thing. This is why we can approach the Holy of Holies with boldness, not fear, not wondering if the bells on the bottom of our garment are jing jangling and tinkling so everybody knows where we are and what's going on. And we don't do something wrong or misrepresent God or the nation so that we would die. We don't have to do that anymore. We come in clean. We come in boldly by the blood of Jesus Christ. We put on the helmet of salvation, not the holy turban. We put on the mind of Christ. We know who we are and who we're found in. And then Seven, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. The anointing oil was poured over the head of the high priest and ran down his garments. The psalmist describes this in Psalm 133 when he says, Precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. There it's celebrating beautiful unity and then giving us a picture of the anointing of the high priest when the oil comes on his head and then runs down. Oil in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And this is a scene that happened in the life of Jesus. He goes to the Jordan River. He says, John, baptize me. John says, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) You need to baptize me. (laughs) What do you mean baptize you? Jesus said, let this be done that we might fulfill all righteousness. Down into the water goes Jesus. He comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit, this is Luke 3, 21, 22, comes down like a dove and lights upon him. And Jesus went out and began his public ministry. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, literally. He is the anointed one, amen? The Christ, Christos, the Messiah, And the Holy Spirit anointed him. And Peter in the house of Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went around doing good. There was a literal anointing of the Holy Spirit on him. Think with me, brethren. We are forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
cleansed from our sin, robed in the righteousness of Christ, and then anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to serve the Lord and to go about doing good to one another and to those outside of the family of God. Amen? This is who we are. This is the walk of the believer in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle means what? It's where God dwells among his people. It's what it means that Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. This is the walk of the priest in the new covenant. Forgiven, cleansed, washed, anointed in Christ, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Luke 4.18 says Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden. See, Jesus is the anointed one, but he also anoints his people to be his hands and his feet. I ask you, do you go around doing good? Is your desire to be the hands and the feet by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you remember when Jesus was anointed for his burial? And he said, let her alone, John 12, 7, that in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And she had done a beautiful thing by anointing Jesus in preparation for his death. Jesus is the anointed one who dies that we might live. Verse 8, you shall bring his sons. These are the, the priests that also serve. Put tunics on them and you shall gird them with sashes. Aaron and his sons bind caps on them. And they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. You could say in perpetuity. So you shall ordain or consecrate Aaron and his sons. Now the other priests or the kids of Aaron get dressed. And they have specific garb as well. Not the garb of the high priest. But they also serve as priests. And they have the priesthood in perpetuity. They have the tunics and the sashes. You can think of the belt of truth. And they serve the Lord. Now we're going to pick up the sacrifices that we saw in verses 1 through 3 for a little bit more detail. Then you shall bring the bull, which was set apart in the first three verses, before the tent of meeting. And Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. And you shall slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway. So we're just inside the tabernacle uh, proper, if you will, of the tent of meeting. We're at the uh, bronze altar of sacrifice. And here's what happens. The priest, the bull's been selected, the young bull in the prime of life, the two rams without spot or blemish, we'll get to in a moment. And here's what happens. The priests have their own sin that has to be dealt with. So they lay hands on the head of the bull. And some scholars believe this is symbolic. Some believe that it signifies something called transference. What does that mean? That when the the laying on of the hands on the head of the bull occurs. The priests implicitly are uh, confessing their sins to God for whatever those sins may be. The sin transfers from the priest being ordained to the bull, and then the bull dies in the place of the sinful person. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. Jesus Christ ultimately pays for our sin. But here is a picture of transference. And something innocent dies for something guilty. Now that's the gospel we know ultimately in Christ. 
But imagine being a priest and you've walked into this holy place and you know what your role has to be and you know you're a sinful person. And you watch this bull die and they get, then get burned up on this altar. And it had to be kind of you know, a sobering scene to watch something else die to make you innocent, to make you clean. When people were at the, you know, at Calvary and they were watching Jesus die, I'm sure that that was a similar sentiment, but even more profound, of course, because it wasn't just an animal. It was Jesus. It was the Lamb of God dying there. And he was completely innocent. This man, you know, even unbelievers, Gentiles said of him, this man's done nothing wrong. We've done something wrong. He hasn't. Surely this man was the son of God, the Roman centurion said. And so you can imagine, you know, and for some of you, you you've taken some moments and thought about the cross in that way. Thought about the great exchange. Thought about what actually is happening there. He's dying so you don't have to incur the wrath of God. So that you don't have to take the fire of God's judgment. John Currid puts it this way. What we see is a case of transference in which unholiness and impure nature of the priesthood are transferred to the animal. The animal is then sacrificed, thus making atonement for those men. As the priests watched the bull burn on the altar, the bull on which they had lain their sinful hands, they realized that they were the ones that deserved to die. You shall take some of the blood of the bull Put it on, on the, horns of, uh, the horns of the altar as we've, uh, we've studied and looked at pictures of, the, of that place with your finger and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. Now this is an unforgettable bloody scene, but here's what it is. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, all the lobe of the liver, all the two kidneys, the fat that is on them and offer them up in smoke on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse, that would be the unclean parts of the bull, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You could say that the most uh, delicious, juiciest parts of the bull were offered to God. We are supposed to give God our best. Now that may not be the parts that you would choose to eat of the bull, but they were considered the best the most savory. And so that went up to God. The first fruits, if you will, the best of the best went to God first. And that's how the sacrifice worked. And worked. And you can see that the unclean parts of the bull, they were burned with fire outside the camp. I want you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews 13. Hold your place in Exodus. We'll come back there. The writer of Hebrews is picking up many of these sacrificial themes. If you want a New Testament book that comments or explains these things. It's the book of Hebrews. And just take a look with me. This is Hebrews 13. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Jesus is the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar, 1310, from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now we're going right commentary on our text from Exodus 29. Therefore, Jesus also, 
that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Well, if that's the case, if we go to Christ outside the camp, if it's already paid in full, what kind of sacrifices does God want? Here I am, a Hebrew in the first century, reading the letter to the Hebrews. What do I do now? My whole life's been based in sacrifice. I'm so used to the temple and the the great festivals and the morning and evening sacrifice. What do I do now? If Jesus has paid it all and there's no need for animal sacrifice anymore, then what do I do? How do I worship? Here's what you do. Look at verse 15. Through Christ, you continually offer up a sacrifice of what? Of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips, of your lips, giving thanks to his name. You give thanks to him for what he's done. And you don't neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is what? pleased. If you want to know what you should be doing now, there it is. You offer up the sacrifice of praise, that is, you are a thankful person, you're thankful to God with your lips, and you go around sharing and doing good. It's not complicated. In fact, I would tell you that this is what it means to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. You go around doing good. Amen? And the best good we can do for people is share the gospel with them. But it could also include just holding a door open for someone. Being kind to people. Oftentimes, kindness becomes a bridge to the gospel. Some of you have work relationships, and it's taking a while for you to get to the gospel. But that's okay, because there's a time and a place when it may, they may be ready to hear it. If you come in on day one and beat them over the head with your Bible at lunch, it probably isn't going to you know, work. But if you earn the right to be heard and you show that you are a person who is anointed with the Spirit, you're probably going to make more headway back to Exodus 29. And so we go to Jesus outside the camp. What does that mean? Jesus suffered outside the gate. What does it mean to us that we go to him outside the camp? We bear his reproach. A word. Don't ever let the world's pressure Silence your mouth. Don't let the fear of man keep you from doing what is right. You know, our world is calling good evil and evil good. And if you buy into that program, you will be muzzled for the rest of your days. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. The truth will win one day. Amen? I mean, he's coming again, and he's going to make all that's wrong right, and he's go we're going to stand before his beam of seat and give an answer for the times that we stayed quiet because we were worried about worldly pressure or who liked us on Instagram or whatever else it may be. Enough with that nonsense. We bear his reproach, and if someone doesn't like it, you know, let's face the facts. I don't even know what people are in uproar about with this whole situation because if we get down to the Roe v. Wade decision, let's just talk about the children. That's where the discussion needs to take place. And if we talk about that topic, I think the rest takes care of itself. You shall also take uh, 29.15 back in Exodus. Take the one ram 
And Aaron and his sons, so now here's the other part of the sacrifice, the first ram, if you will, lay hands, lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall slaughter the ram, shall take its blood and sprinkle it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces, wash its entrails, its legs, put them with its pieces and its head, and shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Now, the, this first ram, they would lay their hands on this ram as well. And now it was a whole burnt offering. Nothing was left. It was uh, symbolizing total dedication to God. That's the idea of the ram of uh, this first one. Then you shall take the other ram, 19, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of that ram. That's the second ram. You shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the lobes of his son's right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet, and sprinkle the rest of the blood around the altar. Now this time it doesn't go on the horns, it goes around the altar, and they take the actual blood of the ram and place it on the body now of the priests, in specific places. Take a look. It's blood on the lobe of the ear, the right ear, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right feet. And then it's sprinkled around the altar. Almost to signify in one sense that they are under the blood or they have atonement under the blood. And by the blood of Jesus, we have atonement. We are under the blood, if you will, but also, as they are consecrated to God, what do you think the ear signifies? You know, remember when we studied uh, the bondservant in the book of Exodus? And when the bondservant decided that he wanted to serve his master for the rest of his life, he was taken to the doorway of the house and he got a piercing in where? His ear. And it signified that his ear would always be open to the voice of his master. The blood goes on the ear, and it says this as a priest in service to God, my ears will always be open to what my Lord would say to me. My ear is consecrated to God. Now, when you wake up in the morning, some of you may have a routine where you put on the armor of God by faith, or maybe you, you reconsecrate your life and say, Lord, take my feet where you want them to go, etc. You might want to just think about consecrating your ear to God. Lord, let my ear be sensitive to your voice. Let me read your word so I can hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The second thing you can see here is on the thumb of the right hand. Okay, I'm, I'm grateful for my thumbs. Uh, we can take our hands for granted, but think about the hand now. Blood on the, on the thumb signifies what? that I want my hands to be about the business of God. Now, my hands as a priest are going to touch holy things. I'm going to be sacrificing for God. I'm going to be lighting the candles of the menorah. I'm going to be touching the showbread. I'm touching the holy utensils of God. My hands have to be set apart unto God. I want to do I want the members of my body no longer to be used for sin, Romans chapter 6, but
but to be used for the things of God. So the blood goes on the ear, on the hand, and then on the big toe of the right foot. Why, you ask? Because my feet need to go where the Lord would lead me. My feet need to be consecrated unto the Lord, that I would walk in the light of his word, that I would walk in the path that he has set for my feet, that I wouldn't turn to the right or to the left, that my feet would be set apart unto the Lord as a priest of the new covenant. Amen? Lord, take my ears, take my hands, take my feet, take my eyes, take my heart, take everything. Help me to love you with all that I am. And the picture that emerges is this. The priest is all God's from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. From head to toe, I belong to you, O Lord. If you can do anything with this, this is often how I pray. <laughs> Lord, if you can do anything with this, that person that's staring back at me in the mirror each morning, Need extra prayer just to sometimes to look. Yeah! <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> Is that me? That can't really be me. Under the blood, marked out for service to Christ. Then you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on his son's garments with him. Notice that the blood even gets now put on the vestments, sprinkle it, take some of the blood and some of the anointing oil, a mixture of oil and blood. You think of Christ, you think of the Holy Spirit, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons, on his son's garments with him. So he and his garments shall be what? Here's the idea. Consecrated, set apart, as well as his sons and his son's garments with him. Now we're going to park right there. And think about some big picture concepts. Justified, purified, sanctified, anointed for service, set apart unto God. And so there needs to be a sacrifice for my sin. And I come to the altar of burnt offering and there's the blood of the bull and the ram. And I come to the bronze laver and there I experiencing the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit, cleansed from an evil conscience, having our body washed with pure water. And as I move into the different places, I all of a sudden come into this idea of being robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am clothed with the new man. This is who I am. No longer am I defiled by the flesh or uh, you know, separated from God by my sin. I'm robed in the righteousness of Christ. And each day I've got to put on who I am. I've got to put on the new man. I've got to put on the arm, armor of God. I've got to put on the helmet of salvation, the mind of Christ. And then as I think about my uh, anointing, I think about the power of the Holy Spirit and the picture of anointing oil running down uh, Aaron's head and his beard and flowing down his garments. And I think about the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 20 and 27 says, we have the anointing of God. The Holy Spirit has made you his tabernacle. And now you have power from the inside to live out who you are in Christ. And the blood on the ear, on the hand, on the foot, on the garments, saying, I'm set apart unto Jesus. 
I'm under the blood, but I want my ear to be always mindful of what my Savior would say. How would my high priest guide my hearing today, my doing, my walking? Amen? It's the picture, the beautiful picture of the consecration of the priests and our consecration unto God. Well, Father, we're going to get ready to take communion here, and as we do, we're so grateful for the pictures that we have seen in the ordination of the priests, of the high priest Aaron and his sons. We know that two of his sons in Leviticus offered strange fire, and, and you judged them, and it's a reminder that you are holy. And holy clothing and all of this doesn't necessarily uh, do the trick. We need a mediator greater than ourselves. We need one without spot or blemish. We need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, physical clothing, robes, uh, rituals will never do it. But when we are in Christ Jesus, when we are set apart and sanctified unto him, when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and set apart unto our God, well, we can walk in freedom and beauty experience the power of the kingdom, experience what it means to have our ear open and consecrated, our hands consecrated, our feet consecrated. Would you keep your head and heart bowed for a moment? And if you, maybe some of these things are foreign to you, maybe it's been a while since you've heard this. This is who you are if you're a Christian. And maybe your feet have been walking in places that you don't belong and your hands have been doing things that you shouldn't be doing and your ears have been listening to things that you shouldn't be listening and so forth. It'd be a good time to get back to where you need to be. Not to earn your salvation, but to be an effective minister of the new covenant, set apart unto our God, holy and pleasing. And he is patient and faithful. Now, maybe you're a, not a Christian at all and you've never experienced the saving power of God because you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You, maybe you didn't realize that the blood of the cross is the only way you're getting in and the death and resurrection of Jesus is what you need to believe in and also trust in him. If you're watching via live stream, bow your head and ask him to save you. Thank him for what he did for you on the cross and through the resurrection. If he is your great high priest, then give thanks and we're, we're going to study next time a covenant meal that follows. And it reminds me of communion. And the priests will eat portions of the sacrifice. And they will eat with God in the tabernacle. A sign of fellowship. A sign that they are accepted and loved. And Lord, as we come to your table now, I pray that you would refresh your saints. Empower them. Open our ears afresh to your voice. Strengthen our hands to do what's right. Lead our feet in the way that you'd have them to go. Help us not forget who we are. Forgiven, justified, robed in the righteousness of Christ, cleansed, anointed, sprinkled with the blood. We're so grateful, Lord. And as your people approach the table, I pray that they would find the beauty of your love for them, that all the things that we studied tonight, you did for us. 
so that we can have what we need to please you and honor you in our lives. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.